As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. We are back. It is a Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Julian McKenzie with you. Uh, wrapping up what was a crazy weekend uh, in the Eastern Conference in particular, as uh, everybody seems to be loading up, ready to go. We're going to talk about all of that. Arthur Staples is going to drop by. We think that the Rangers are sit- sitting on uh, Patrick Kane, speaking of teams loading up. So we'll, we'll get Arthur Staple. We'll talk about the craziness of the Eastern Conference. I've uh, got some fun emails to read. But I'll tell you, Julian, I want to start with this. You need to tell our listeners all about your trip to Arizona. I know you went to Colorado after, but you had... Remember last week I said, well, I need a full scouting report of Mullet Arena. But just getting the Mullet Arena was a bit of a problem for you. Yeah. Um, what so happened? The sto- okay. So I was supposed to go to Arizona uh, Tuesday night. I-, I had a flight from Calgary out to Arizona. And first it was delayed by I'm trying to think by if it was an hour. I forget there was there was a there was a noteworthy delay. And then we end up in the air. It's about 30 minutes long. And um so we, we encounter some turbulence. I think at the time the seatbelt sign were on, was on. And all I hear over the intercom is the pilot saying, if we have any doctors and nurses on board, like please present yourself. Like we have oh. like a medical emergency. And I'm like, okay, what the hell's what's what's going on? And I see like a few people like running up and down the the plane, running to the front, and like after a while, we just hear like, okay, uh, we have to turn uh, the plane around because uh, of this medical emergency. 
And there was this lady who was sitting next to me the whole time. And we're just trying to figure out what's going on. Her daughter was sitting at the front of the plane. She apparently had seen that as the plane was going through turbulence, an attendant fell and hit their head. And that's why they needed medical assistance. And they turned the plane around. And we land back in Calgary. Um, Like EMS comes on the plane and they treat the attendant. And then eventually afterward, like everyone has to get off the flight. Um, that what like we were going obviously we were going through to the state, so like we had to go through customs. They have to basically pull us back through to like the gate that takes us through customs, and we all have to like walk through, get those slips you get when you're when you're walking through customs and whatever. They kind of fast tracked us through, and then they rebooked everybody on uh on flights the next day. And like I almost didn't even make that flight because they had booked me on a flight in the morning, and then they pushed it to a flight in the evening, and then I had to figure out a way to get on a flight in the morning. And I found a way to do that. Um, yeah. Like I, it was wild too. It was like, like when I got back in the morning, like there were flight attendants who there were other people for the airline I was on who were all like, yo, like we heard that like this flight, like went up in the air, but it went back to Calgary. Like what happened? And, and to this day, I still don't know what happened to that tenant. So I really hope they're okay. But uh, yeah, that was a very chaotic Chaotic couple of hours oh. with regards to getting to Arizona. So I, just, I sincerely hope the attendant is okay. And I did get into Arizona, like, I mean, in time for the game. Uh, I think when I got to my hotel, like, I had to wait, like, two hours for, like, my hotel to actually be available to me because I checked, I got in before the check-in hours. But that is light work compared to uh, what I experienced or at least what was experienced on the plane. Oh, man. Well, yeah. And that's one of those ones where, you know, as much as you might get frustrated, you're like, man, this is, somebody's health is in uh, jeopardy, right? So, you you know, you, you got to be really mindful of that. And, uh, man, that's awful. But so one of the people on the plane was actually, a, you know, when they say, is there a nurse or a doctor on the plane? Like, there, there was somebody on the plane was actually equipped or no? Uh, um. I wasn't able to I wasn't able to confirm for myself. Man. I think someone was trying to tell me that like there may have been a nurse, but I I was not able to really confirm for myself. The biggest it, thing was just that like somebody was just like hurt. Oh, man, man. I I like do you ever feel m- more useless when they call out for people of, you know, these types of professions and we're just sitting there as like as writers yep. and like anyone need a podcaster? Uh nope, never <laughs> happens. But anyway, so again, hope, hopefully everything is okay with that flight attendant. Now, give us the Mullet Arena scouting report. Uh, I've heard it's actually a really fun place. I didn't go when Ottawa went down to, to Arizona. I didn't go. Uh, people tell me, man, great place to watch a game. Ton of energy, ton of atmosphere, great sight lines, all of that. Uh, what was it like? 5,000-seat arena watching an NHL game. So, like, please don't take this the wrong way, Coyotes fans. Like. If this was an AHL arena, if this was an ECHL arena, it's probably the best in the league. Like for a university rink, it looks like pretty sleek. I love the the design, the the way they're they're incorporating like the black, but also some a- ASU colors as well because it's on the Arizona State campus. But like as an AHL arena, like like we all we all know it's it's a bit of not like a I don't want to use the I don't want to use the word a joke, but we all know it's a bit of a weird novelty thing going on. Um, that being said, like it's a it's a very unique spot. Uh, instead of like a traditional press box, they had like a media row that's like directly behind this section of fans. And 
like normally like like we've seen like at Ball Arena they have something similar where they have a press box that's kind of over top a section of fans. As opposed to to Arizona though, I don't have to worry about like pushing my laptop screen forward and possibly hitting a guy in the head because like that's how close you are to fans. Like when a goal gets scored and they all jump up, like you kind of also have to get up too and 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 see what's going on. Also for the sight line, this is my view. Like if the play is in the end closest to you, uh, you get to see like possibly the best look you can get for any NHL game. Once the puck, once the puck gets to the other side, though, farthest away from you, that's when it gets a little bit tricky. As far as I'm dicey. concerned, it's a little dicey. Like the like the Flames had, uh, they were down through one in that game, and like the two goals they scored to get back into the game were off the other end. And a couple of times, I was like, okay, like what happened? Like it's I'm kind of far. From everything, it's not like when you're over top and like you have a better view of how things go. Just kind of being at a on an angle is just a little bit weird. The one thing for me that I thought was very interesting, um, I can't speak for what the Coyotes dressing room looks like. Uh, I can speak a little bit to what the Flames room kind of looked like, at least for the visitors. But the funny thing for me is seeing the players get off the ice. They like walk sort of out of the arena. They're walking through some random hallway corridor that leads to a door that takes you outside. And then like, not that much, but like, oh, there's like a little like end where you kind of have to like walk through this part that again, takes you outside before you enter essentially a back door that leads you to the locker room. Like we even did an avail with, with Daryl Sutter where we are again outside and they're trying to make it seem like we're not outside, but like there's a tent above us and I clearly see outside and I feel the wind. It was also really chilly too in Arizona as well. Um, but yeah, like it was a, it was a very interesting, interesting setup on, on that front, but it was cool to be really close to the fans and really get to feel the vibe and the energy that's there. Like it's, it's cool, but like, (laughs) man, it's a, it's a very, it's a very interesting rink. It's a very interesting place. Like, I hope that in future versions of like the NHL franchise, like in the video game, like you make that like an arena you can still play in just for like the fun <laughs> novelty, like an unlockable arena or something. Like that I think that'd be like kind of fun. But like it's uh I mean it's a it's a five thousand seat arena. And and all throughout the game, like they were bringing up um uh calls for, for fans to vote on the propositions that would essentially allow the big arena project to exist in Arizona. So yeah, there was uh it was a very unique experience. Also for people asking, uh People wondering, oh, do you get those actual like mullet hair things? I think that was just a one game option, a one time thing at the beginning of of the year. It's not something that they do every game. Gotcha. And Gary Batman was, uh, you know, uh, this week was in, in, on the video, right, with that whole proposition for the arena. Yep. So we know that that's um, that's top of mind. Listen, <clears throat> Arthur Staple is going to drop by here in a second, real quick before Stape jumps in. I want to ask you, because we're going to be spending a lot of time on the Eastern Conference here. Um, Mm -hmm. You saw the defending Stanley Cup champions with your own eyes on Saturday night, the Colorado Avalanche. They're kind of waking up here. Uh, Is that the team to beat? You've you've obviously followed the Western Conference a lot closer than I have being a team that you cover a team there. Are the Avs still the class of the West, in your opinion? They look so scary up front. And once everybody gets healthy... Like, I can't think of any team in the Western Conference, and that's no disrespect to Winnipeg and Dallas, who, if they were somehow slotted in a first-round matchup against Colorado, that they would be like, oh, no, we can take them. It's just 
the speed, the way they defend as well. Like you have Nathan McKinnon, who is no lower than two, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of best players in the world, uh, is like just seeing him up close is like incredible. Like there are people I was sitting next to in the press box at Ball Arena. And like every time Nathan McKinnon tried to make some rush up ice, we're just looking at each other, just being like, like, what are we like? What are we doing here in terms of comparing other Western Conference teams? Like they are on a different level from everybody else. And at the pace that they're on, like this is a team we're thinking like, oh, man, like, you know, maybe they 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 keep the team together as much as they can, despite the injuries. And maybe they just kind of slot it as a wild card team. There's a chance if they keep this going, they could end up being the best team in the Western Conference when yeah, it's when all said and done. Yeah. If they like keep this going, I don't know. They they look very and, they, and in that game they didn't have Kale McCarr. Gabe Landeskog is still hurt. They're playing the second night of a back to back. Like I don't know. I, and I know I wrote about it for for the Athletic, obviously, and, and Jacob Barkstrom the allowing goals in the first two shots that he saw. But I don't know. That's still a that's a team to me that. Un- unless I see unless I see Dallas and Winnipeg really take them to the mat and knock them down, as far as I'm concerned, Colorado's still that team to beat for me. But again, like I I I you know, I, again, no disrespect to Dallas and Winnipeg. I just think with Colorado, with what they've been able to do in the playoffs, the way that they've been able to get through these rounds, the way that they still have that dominating play style that works so effectively and is so hard to stop. Like essentially, you just have to hope if you're other teams that like Colorado just won't be at 100%. There's still a chance they might not be, but when you're getting all those guys slowly coming back, I think when talking to Peter Baugh, like, you know, Kale McCarr will eventually come back. Like, it's, it's, man, this is, this is such a scary team to watch up front, man. They're scary. It's crazy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Julian. Yeah, like I said, we're going to probably focus a lot, uh, even though Colorado is looking uh, dynamite, we're going to focus a lot on the Eastern Conference after a wild weekend in which it felt like everybody was uh, just loading up. Let's uh, bring in uh, our uh, New York Rangers uh, writer, uh, Arthur Staple, also the host of the uh, co-host of the Garden Faithful podcast alongside Steve Valiquette. Arthur Staple, welcome to the Monday edition of the pod. How often is Arthur Staple refreshing his phone, Twitter, <laughs> checking your text messages right now as we wait for the Patrick Kane news? Uh, well, I know it's not going to happen now, so it's fine. It's uh, <laughs> the, the cap gymnastics sort of dictate it's going to be a couple days. The really the only thing we're waiting for right now is uh, to see if what Keandre Miller's what's going to happen with him as far as a hearing goes. Uh, this these last few days, since it seemed like that was full speed ahead for this Kane trade, the way the Rangers have been 
contorting themselves with their roster and all the uh, attendant nonsense that's happened. It's been uh, it's been pretty ridiculous with these guys the last three games or so. And they actually won one last night. They were down to 14 skaters at one point with two healthy guys sitting in full uniform on the bench. It was um, – I haven't seen that one in a while, and uh, I don't think I'll see it again, and I'm sure that they don't want to see it for much longer. So the sooner they can make this deal, the soonest time they can make this deal, they'll do it. Yeah, I, I wonder with the way that uh, those two players, I think Braden Schneider was one. I'm trying to remember the other one. Ryan Carpenter. Um, there we go. Ryan Carpenter is the other name. Uh, the fact that they're sitting on the bench, they're they're healthy guys. Maybe they played a couple seconds. I didn't get to watch the game, but like, there's no way the league looks at that and thinks like, oh, we're just going to let that slide, right? Like, they, <laughs> there's something that kind of has to be done. It's a little bit ridiculous. All for, for Patrick Kane, which, look, a marquee player. We've made the point on the podcast that, like, you know, he's there's still a star quality and a star name 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 to him but like there's no way uh that like the league looks at what they did the other night with those two players sitting and they think oh yeah we want more teams to do this uh when it comes to acquiring players all in the name of recruiting cap space right yeah i mean nobody says you have to make the deal either and this uh you know they've already gone out and got vladimir tarasenko they got nico mikola they got tyler mott there's certainly a debate to be had whether they need patrick kane on this team that's already a pretty good team and already has lots of offensive firepower. Um, but it seems like that train left the station a long time ago and they're going to do it. And obviously part of them doing it is doing what they did the other night, which is basically bubble wrapping Braden Schneider and Ryan Carpenter, making sure that they didn't see the ice, even as Keandre Miller got ejected. And again, you don't have to spit on a guy. I would say is the other argument the counter argument too is that like hey you guys could have made it through with 16 skaters if one of your guys didn't spit in drew dowdy's face mika zibanejad took a a big dowdy shot off his ankle he did come back um so some of these things are self-inflicted for sure and and the cap situation um you know everybody seems to be uh in cap hell these days and it's you know like i said the question is do they need patrick kane i suppose that's for a different time because because they're gonna get him it certainly seems that way it's just what they have to do to get there is uh, has been a little bit ridiculous for sure. You know, Arthur, you've brought up the Keandre Miller spitting incident and, and let's, you know, for a moment, let's just dive into that because I think if you just see the clip with no context, it's awful, right? I mean, here's Keandre Miller right in Drew Doughty's face, spitting on him. Um, you were there, you talked to every, you know, the people involved, like, like what's your sense and you know, what's your feeling on how and why this happened? And do you expect, there to be extra discipline here for uh, for the Rangers defenseman? Oh yeah, I mean I think he's getting suspended. I don't. I, it was clear cut, you know, completely accidental. I think Keandre Miller, you know, it, it it there was nothing that precipitated it that would say it would ever warrant that kind of thing. There was no heated exchange between the two of them. I think as Drew Daddy said, he's like, I don't even think I said anything to the guy. They were just sort of skating into a post whistle scrum. Nobody was throwing punches. Nobody was ready to 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 you know pull gloves and sticks out or helmets off or anything like that it just uh it just happened and i think it would you know keandre miller is a pretty calm collected guy and and doesn't necessarily uh have a reputation for flying off the handle i'm sure you know he seemed uh you know through a couple team sources that i talked to he seemed quite remorseful admitted he did it it couldn't say why he did it um went to Drew Doughty afterwards and tried to explain himself. It seemed like that maybe buried the hatchet a little bit. I'm sure Drew Doughty, who's been in the league a long time and never had that happened to him before, was thinking, you know, who is this guy and why is he doing this to me? Um, 
So, uh, but having said all that, I don't think saying it was an accident gets you out of jail uh, for the discipline part. So I think, you know, the precedent was set, whatever it was, four years ago when Garnet Hathaway spit on Eric and Branson. And those are two heavyweight guys who were probably angry with each other or ready to go or whatever. And that was three games. If this one is two, you know, that seems like a fair penalty. If it's three, I assume that's fair too. It's just something that can't happen in a game. And, and I'm sure Keandre Miller knows that. I don't know if uh, in that situation from a couple years ago, you could say there was any anything that would suggest it was that was an accident. But I wonder in this no. case, if if Keandre Miller maintaining that, you know, what he did was accidental and, and him going to Drew Doughty to try to resolve things. I wonder if that plays at all in, in the league's mind when it comes time to talking to him on the for the Department of Player Safety. Yeah, you know, I think uh, just talking to a league source a little bit last night, they're saying like, I, I think 99% of hearings start with, I didn't mean to do it, you know, whether it's cross check to the face or <laughs> yeah. a sucker punch or any of the offenses that can get you suspended these days. I don't think intent was necessarily the, firm, the foremost thing on the player's mind. So I think this, this kind of falls into that category, even it seems like, though it seems like a much more deliberate act, um, even an accidental spit is still a spit and it's still something that's that's considered beyond the pale in the in the hockey code and in the and in the hockey rule book. So uh, I don't think there's a chance he avoids a suspension here. You know, I uh, I, I think right now in the next day or so, probably a lot of the attention will be on Miller and what the the fallout is, and then we'll probably all go rushing back to Patrick Kane before the the deadline on on Friday. And I thought it was so interesting, Arthur, when the Devils traded for Timo Meyer. We were waiting; it felt like forever to see what the <laughs> return was. Uh, What's your best guess on a on a potential return to Chicago for Patrick Kane? And is there a way that the Rangers can execute this deal and not give up uh, Kako or Lafreniere or you know or or anything of that ilk? Or are they going to have to part with one of those premium assets to get a rental in Patrick Kane? Well, I'll say if they were going to part with a roster player who was making a decent amount of money, the trade would have already happened because they wouldn't be doing all these cap gymnastics. So I think that's your first clue that they did not give up anything uh, off their roster, uh, nothing of value in the organization. All of their prospects played in, in the AHL the other night uh, after kind of the, the first uh, wave of moves where they traded Vitaly Krabs out to Vancouver to free up some cap space. They put Jake LeCision on waivers to free up some more cap space. Um, so my, my understanding is, uh, you know, Scott Powers has been working this from the Chicago end, and we've combined on a couple of stories. Uh, we're both pretty pretty aware that this is going to be just a draft pick deal. Um, there's not going to be a first-round pick involved. Maybe there's a conditional – there's conditions that could turn something into a first if the Rangers make the conference finals or the Stanley Cup finals. But my understanding is um, Chris Drury was not going to be willing to give up a first, especially after having given up one of their two firsts in this draft for Vladimir Tarasenko and Nico Mikola, I think he was holding pretty firm in the belief that Patrick Kane only wants to be a Ranger. Uh, you know, there's, this isn't a free for all where everybody can throw in their best bid and Chicago's got lots of offers to pick from. It certainly seems like Patrick Kane has told the Hawks make the best deal you can with the Rangers. It's either that, or I'm going to, you know, maybe get surgery on the hip on his hip that needs uh, something done down the road. Um, so that kind of boxed in Chicago right away. And I don't think the Rangers were willing to to help out a team uh, even in the pursuit of getting a you know a, a surefire Hall of Famer. So uh, you know if you see a second round pick plus another mid round pick, I, I would think that might be it. And it sounds like you know you say to yourself, how can you not get a first round pick for Patrick Kane, even at his age and with his health status right now? 
Um, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, but it certainly seems that's the case. What I'm wondering, uh, it's out there that uh, it seems like the earliest a trade between the Rangers and the Hawks could happen could be Wednesday with with all the different cap gymnastics going on. What's stopping the Rangers from and the Hawks from getting this done like on deadline day? If this is all being done in the name of accruing as much cap space as possible to make this work, why not max this out until the last possible moment? <laughs> on deadline day as opposed to, you know, all right, let's see if we can do it, get it done on Wednesday or maybe Thursday is the day to do it. Like what's like, why do I see this going down right to the wire on Friday? Um, well, mostly to do with the schedule. You know, I think the Rangers, what they've done with their roster these last three games is not something they want to continue to do. They play Wednesday in Philly. They play Thursday at home against Ottawa. So, um, I think the the goal is to get their roster as complete as it's going to be uh, ahead of Friday and not have to worry about something else going wrong, another injury. You know, they they lost Ryan Lindgren in the Washington game. They were holding their breath on Mika Zibanejad uh, last night. Um, so I think they feel like, what else can go wrong here? After <laughs> They've had a season of incredible health and good success. Now, uh, you know, they turn their backs for a minute. It's like the, it's like the, the, the online meme of Donald Glover from community goes to get the pizza and comes back in and the room's on fire. This is, this is how the Rangers feel these last couple of games. Brilliant so I think they, reference, sir. Brilliant. Yeah, th- that's how old I am. I can't show the meme. I can just describe it. That's, okay. that's the old man version. Um, but it's, you know, I think they just want to get it done. I'm sure Patrick Kane who's in Chicago away from the Hawks wants to get it done and get here. Um, so if they can do it by Wednesday, I think a little bit rides on what their roster is going to look like. If Ryan Lindgren can at least dress for a game, he might dress for a game and not play on Wednesday, and then they can make it happen on Wednesday. Um, but if Keandre Miller, as we expect, gets suspended for the, at least the next couple, maybe they push it to Thursday just in terms of having a full roster. So I don't, I don't, I think the cap set, the cap situation says they can do it as early as Wednesday. Um, I think they would want to do it by Wednesday to get Patrick Kane in the lineup and have a full complement of players. Uh, but failing that, the earliest they can do it to try to get this guy into a game and try to be done with all of the shenanigans that they've had to do these last few days is probably their their top priority. Um, and, and by the way, as we've been uh, recording this podcast here, Kandre Miller's actually put a statement out. Um, and I'll just read it. It's very quick on, on Twitter. Uh, Miller writing, I wanted to take a moment to address what occurred in last night's game. I have all the respect in the world for Drew Doughty, and what happened was completely accidental. I would never intend to do something like that on purpose. It goes against everything I am as a person and player. I felt awful about it. I am thankful Drew gave me the opportunity to apologize and explain myself in person after the game. So there, as as you said, it, uh, 99% of these are a, I didn't mean to do it, and that's uh, the, uh, the, the the route that uh, Keandre Miller uh, has taken. Now, uh you mentioned that, hey, you know, they don't have to trade for Patrick Kane because they already kind of went big game hunting. They got Vlad Tarasenko. Uh, Arthur, we've seen nine games now of Vlad Tarasenko. Like how, how has he's got two goals and, and four points. And so from an outsider's perspective, that might seem underwhelming. But how would you say he's fit in? Easy transition. Does it look like he's he's gelling well with this group? I think he's having a little trouble with it. You know, he, we were out in Western Canada uh, right after he made his debut and he said he was having a, a hard time, you know, his first new team in 11 years in the NHL and, and his whole life, professional life is in St. Louis. His family's in St. Louis. Um, so I think it's a big adjustment for him. He does have 
Artemi Panarin, who's known for a long time, they combined uh, to, to beat Canada back in 2011 in the World Juniors. So they they have some good history together on the ice and in international events. Uh, but he's never really played with them in the NHL, and certainly not with any of the other guys on the Rangers. So um, you know, I think it's an odd situation where you've got a guy who was a star, one of the main characters in St. Louis through a Stanley Cup, through a decade of playing, and now he's the guy that's got to adjust to everybody else. So I think it's taken him some time. And the the fact that Chris Drury made this trade so far ahead of the deadline was probably, you know, a shrewd move to give him that kind of time and get acclimated and figure out where he fits. Um, now, I would imagine you have to kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit when Patrick Kane gets here and figure out where everybody goes because you have so many stars. But but uh, it's been an adjustment. And, and I think they're OK with that because they want him to be comfortable. And now is not really the most important time of the year for the Rangers. They kind of know. You know, they're 10 points clear of the wild card chase in the East. They're about 10 points behind Carolina, maybe eight or six or eight behind Jersey. You know, they're going to finish second or third, probably third in that division. And I think they're they're really using these last 22 games to kind of sharpen their focus, play the way they want to play, be healthy, figure out where all their new guys fit uh, and be ready for the playoffs. So uh, so they've given themselves some good some good runway here with with Tarasenko and I guess with Kane to try to figure out what works best. And uh, it's going to be a challenge for Gerard Gallant and his coaching staff. It's You don't see teams like this in the salary cap era of so many skilled guys, uh, you know, trying to fit in on two power play units. Uh, the Rangers have a very dominant top power play unit. Um, and these top two lines that they got to try to figure out what works best and, and really try to play uh, as complete a game as they can. They're really their biggest issue when they lost four in a row before last night was uh, they weren't playing good defense. And that, I don't know if Patrick Kane or Vladimir Tarasenko helps you play good defense, but, uh, but they have to figure it out uh, in, in the, you know, in the context of a team system and, and they've got some time to do it. And like I said, you know, if, if they were chasing one of those last playoff spots or hunting for, for first place in the Metro, it might be a little different, but, but they're kind of, coasting i guess you know i don't think that's how they would look at it but they kind of know where they're going to be uh for playoff time so i think they're giving themselves some time to experiment and tinker a little bit what are what are your thoughts on igor shesterkin's year uh the reigning vezina winner from last season uh, just looking at his stats really quickly here 26 and 10 and, and 7 record but a, a 9 10 save percentage and a 265 goals against average not necessarily the same quality of numbers we saw from him last season with the New York Rangers. What have you thought about his year so far and how he could shape up uh, when it comes time for the Rangers to make a playoff run? I mean, they they need him. They need him to be, if not Vezina Trophy winning Igor Shesterkin, at least uh, a notch or two above what he's been. Um, and he's, you know, he's a guy who's incredibly hard on himself. He doesn't really talk too much uh, after games. He's just too, you know, he's too... Uh, too much, you know, too intense, beating himself up a bit uh, after he has a bad game. Like I talked to him, you know, early in the year when he was kind of at the same level, struggling a little bit, and he'd, he'd taken up meditation on off days between games to try to calm his mind a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, when you throw down a season like he did last year, which was one of the five best goalie seasons in in the history of the NHL, you know, as high as nine thirty seven or nine thirty six save percentage, you know, they they were Hasek type numbers that he put up last year. And that is an impossible standard to set uh, for a guy like him, especially a young guy like that. So I think there was going to be some natural, uh, you know, regression for him this year. I, I don't think he thought it would go this far, but, uh, but I think the confidence that the team has in him 
uh, hasn't really wavered. You know, they've, he gives up a few more goals than you'd think, but I think as a team, they play a lot better than they did for the bulk of last season where they were really relying on him, you know, to steal games. So, uh, I'm curious to see how he'll handle these last 22, whether he gets, you know, 15 or so of the 22 starts left. Yara Halak has been real good as his backup, but obviously, you know, this time of year, get into the playoffs, the backup doesn't really matter. It's it's all about the number one guy. And Shesterkin is still clearly the number one going into the playoffs. And last season in the playoffs, I think maybe people forget because they went so far. Uh, he was terrible uh, against the Penguins the first few games. He got pulled in both games three and four in Pittsburgh. Um you know, that was, uh, I think people were wondering, is this guy, you know, is this really the guy, you know, his first real playoff experience. And he was, uh, he looked really shaky for a little while there before he got himself steadied. So maybe they're feeling like he's getting the shakiness out of the way now and he'll be ready because he knows the, how sharp you have to be once you get into the playoffs, especially if they're going to be facing Jersey or Carolina, two incredibly potent, high-powered offenses who throw a lot of shots at you. So uh, I think, you know, they feel like if he's going to have, the struggles. They'd rather have them now than in April. Uh, a final question for you here uh, before we let you go. Saturday is a game that I think hockey fans should probably have circled on their calendar. In fact, it's going to be one of those uh, nationally televised ABC games uh, in the U.S. They're going to show it nationally here in Canada on Sportsnet. It's the Bruins. It's the Rangers. And I got to ask mm. you, what kind of test is that game for the Rangers? And and maybe they'll have Patrick Kane. Maybe that'll be his debut game. And, uh, you know, this this will be a test. Like, how much are you looking forward to that game to maybe seeing? Hey, what where where do the Rangers stack up against the team that right now people think is the best in the East in Boston? You know, if the Rangers have their full complement of players, I am I am intrigued. You know, I think the Bruins came in when the Rangers were still bobbing along at five hundred the first couple months of the season, and and it wasn't even close at the Garden uh, back in November. Um, so this will be a better test. The Rangers have obviously been a lot better the last two months. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge right now. I'm sure they'll have Kane by then. Will Keandre Miller be back? Will Ryan Lindgren be back? You know, those are two guys that, uh, that kind of make their defense what it is, um, in, in more, you know, not necessarily Miller, but Lindgren kind of in that supportive role for Adam Fox as his partner. And without Miller, Jacob Trouba is a little bit more lost. So, um, if you have one, if you're missing one or both of those guys, I don't know how how eagerly people are going to want to watch it because it could be another Bruins steamroll. But uh, but I think you know at full complement and like you said, if that is Patrick Kane's first game, what a great stage national te- you know across North America against the top team in the in the league. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they use him, how he gets acclimated, how quickly he can rekindle that that chemistry that he had with Artemi Panarin that's made him want to reunite with him for seemingly this entire season we've been talking about whether Kane was going to want to come to the Rangers or not so uh yeah there's a lot of intrigue you know it's it feels like this this trade has been agreed upon and we're just sort of waiting for it for days now and then finally once the guy gets here there's still more intrigue to come about how well he fits how how he's going to play uh a lot of eyes are going to be on the Rangers and I think you know that's kind of the way it's been a lot over the years you think back to the early 2000s with Messier, when before you know Gretzky was here, Messier came back. Eric Lindros, Theo Fleury, um, you know, didn't work so well. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work so well in the early two thousands when Glenn Sather was collecting over the hill Hall of Famers. But uh, none, of, I don't know if Patrick Kane's quite that far over the hill, and certainly the team itself is is in a lot better place than it was back then. So uh, it, it'll still be fun to watch, and uh, a lot of attention is going to be coming on the Garden for sure. 
Yeah. And you know what? However it uh, shakes out, we just look forward to your coverage uh, for the readers uh, uh, with The Athletic, for the listeners on the uh, the Garden Faithful podcast with you and Steve Alicat. You have uh, no shortage of topics to get through. So we appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your super busy schedule to, to join us. Thanks for this and good luck for what uh, should be a crazy week ahead for you. All right. Thanks, guys. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, uh, Julian, with uh, with Arthur Staple this week. So we appreciate him dropping by. And you know what I love is that we're starting to see, uh, it feels like in the East, as much as there's so much intrigue, it feels like we have our first round matchup set uh, in the division, right? In, in Toronto, Tampa, we'll get to that in a second. But Devils Rangers feels like it's, uh, we feel like it feels like about a 90% chance it's going to happen. We just talked to, uh, at length with Arthur about what the Rangers have done. How about the New Jersey Devils, they go out and they get Timo Meyer uh, in exchange for a huge package uh, of, of certainly uh, maybe quantity over quality, depending on how you want to look at it. But look, they gave up a bunch of assets. Timo Meyer goes from uh, San Jose to New Jersey. Do you now put New Jersey up there, Julian? Do they deserve to hang with the Rangers who went to the Final Four last year, with Tampa, who's been to three straight Stanley Cups, to Boston and Carolina, who are leading their division. Do we put the Devils there or not? They play in a conference that has Boston and Tampa Bay, and I have them like right at the top. I'm pretty high on the Rangers, but you know we discussed the fact that Igor Shosturkin is not playing at the Vezina caliber, caliber level that we expect him to play at. The Devils, like I, in a weird way, I feel like they're playing with house money. But because of a move like this, like you go from, oh, you know, we'll just see what happens. We're playing with house money to, okay, you've just opened up this competitive window, and you're taking this seriously. Um, I, we have we have to talk about Carolina too. I think the fact that they were able to get Meyer as opposed to the Hurricanes, who were also linked to him, is a very big win in itself. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you have to take them seriously. I don't know if I put them on the same level as a Boston or a Tampa. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, Toronto is probably a notch below those guys too. 
Uh, but we all know with their playoff struggles, like and, and where they could be slotted up with that matchup against Tampa Bay, that affects things too. Um, I guess around the same places where I'd find the Leafs, like it's just they win that first round against the Rangers if it ends up being the matchup because they're actually the Devils are three points behind the Hurricanes right now in that Metro division. But like if the Devils get that win over the Rangers in that first round, if it ends up being the series, like that definitely is something to take notice of. But otherwise, like I mean, I like the idea that like they've seemingly transitioned from a mid team to a team that looks to be competitive with a piece like Timo Meyer who will slot into their their top line and and people are envisioning him and, and Jack Hughes playing together. Um I I see them, I mean, yeah, maybe I, I take them a little bit more seriously than I would have before the weekend began. Um I don't know if I'm ready to say okay, they could hang with Boston and Tampa Bay yet, but like I definitely think they're a team that needs to be taken seriously. Okay. I can't help but notice there's one t- and I bet you this fan base is screaming at their device right now listening to us. That's Hurricanes fans. Yeah. Carolina fans are going to be like, hey, 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 hey. I noticed you guys didn't really talk about the Hurricanes. And here's they're what I find interesting. Yeah, they're quiet. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Carolina was the one team in the East who didn't make one of these big additions and they, they got to the cup? Like, look, they were obviously in on Timo Meyer, And I think they'll do something at some point in the next few days. Mm-hmm. But... I, I just feel like a lot of people are sleeping on the Hurricanes. You know, all season, I think you were the same way as me. All season, when we do our our predictions of who's going to come out of the East, who's going to win the Cup, I've picked Carolina every time. I I just think they're quiet. They're deep. I like their defense. Goaltending, I'm not 100% sold on, but there's a bunch of teams in the East where I don't know where they're going to go with their goaltending. Uh, do you think Carolina has to do anything? Like, do, do, I think... Everybody, New Jersey has added, Toronto has added, the Rangers have added, Boston has added, you know, everybody has added, Tampa has added. We're going to get to that too. But does Carolina need to add something now just to, like, I'd hate for somebody to make a trade for the sake of making a trade because you're like, well, everyone else is doing it. Uh, That's a really good team in Carolina. They're Stanley Cup worthy right now. Do they have to do anything? I mean, like, what do you want them to do now? Because, like, some of the I biggest fish the are, like, gone. Right? F- fill in the gap for Pacioretty. Right. But, like, Timo Meyer might have done that. He's gone. Uh, all these other bigger pieces that might have been options for them. Like, they're, 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 they're out of it. Like, who are you going to get at this point that's going to, I guess, fulfill that? Like, I, I, I wonder if the piece that they would try to get would be somebody who we're not necessarily thinking of. But, like... I don't know, and I and you see, like we're gonna get to it with the Tampa Bay thing. Like, you gotta be mindful of some of these prices out here too. Like, who is out there right now? That like, what is Max Domi gonna fill in that gap? Like, is is he the guy you want in that position? Uh, is is I mean, Ivan Barbashev's already gone too. I don't think Brock Besser does it for them. Uh, do you just? I'm going. I'm literally going through the NHL trade board off the Athletic, which is a really great resource, by the way. But like, who like who who is out there? That, like, unless, um, I would see it like this. I think if the Canes are able to make a move where they don't have to give up a boatload of pieces, like, like depending on whatever the deal is for Max Domi, for example, um, I see Kevin Hayes is there. I know he's had a decent year in Philly. Like, what are they going to do with that move? Like, is that enough to, to, to say, like, hey, we did something? I mean, you're right. Like they're they're a cup contending team right now. They play a good defensive structure. They're tough to play against. Maybe they don't necessarily have to. 
But I can understand the envy that comes with like, you know, you see all these other teams, especially in your division, load up and you feel like you have to do something. They might, they might still win the division anyway. So maybe they don't. I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I don't think they necessarily need to, you know, open the vault to make something happen. The only thing I, I'm not sold on their goaltending, right? And they've kind of had a three-headed yeah, monster fair. there. Uh, that's the only thing. But anyway, but I just think that's really interesting. Now, Tampa Bay. I think a lot of people were shocked, capital S, shocked, when the trade for them to get Tanner Janot from, from Nashville. Um, and that's exactly the type of guy they've added at the deadline, right? Nick Paul and Braden Hagel and uh, go back to the uh, the Blake Coleman and, and those types of guys that they were getting. It's always that kind of middle six guy that adds a little bit of grit and all, all that stuff, okay? I get it. Uh, but the price was high. Uh, it's a first round pick. It's a second round pick. It's a third round pick, a fourth, a fifth, and Cal Foot. Uh, the, the gang at Cap Friendly said, Julian, that they, they believe this is the first trade that they could ever find in which a, a team gave away a first, second, third, fourth, and fifth in the same trade. Um, here's what's interesting. As we record this podcast on, fr- uh, on, on Monday afternoon, uh, Julian Brisebois. Yeah, I was about to the, say. The uh, general manager of the Tampa Lightning has given his side of things here, the explanation. And he says, quote, when we look at what it's worth to us based on the odds of those draft picks turning into good NHL players down the road, I'd rather have the good player right now for this season and next and help this group win right now because I know what the odds are of those picks turning into players. I also know the odds are of what those picks are turning into players that can help us win while we have this group of players right now in their prime, ready to go for another long run. Basically, Julian Breezeball saying, I owe it to the Hedman, Stamkos, Kuch, Vasilevsky, uh, you know, Sergeyev group. I owe it to them to win now. Yeah. That's his right. I, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with him doing what he needs to do to ensure that that core stays up and they they remain competitive every single year, especially when you have the the list of players they have playing at such a high level. I don't have a problem with that. And on top of that, like, you know, Nate, especially not to this extent, but yes, fine. He's made moves for, for guys like, like a Blake Coleman or, or, or Brandon Hagel at the or Nick Paul, and 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 you offer up those high end draft picks, and it works. You can't really fault for Julian Breezeball for doing it again when it's worked for him in the past. My whole thing is just on the surface. When you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, an NHL GM doing this to like NBA trades, and so many people are looking at this and saying, like, man, this is an NBA trade where teams are starting to really look down the line with some of their future picks and say, like, you know what, let's chuck them away so we can get this good player right now it is just kind of interesting that like in the nhl we have oh okay julian breezeball is doing this to get a third line player essentially because that's what tanner Geno is going to be with the tampa bay lightning compared to the nba we're like okay maybe you get russell westbrook out of it and West- and look russell westbrook is washed compared to what we've seen him at his mvp mvp form but like if you're flipping picks to get him like okay like there's a star you're getting in or or kevin durant for example it's just that's what I find the most interesting thing about it. I'm not going to sit here and doubt Julian Breezeball for what he did, 
My thing is just like for people who are going to say like, yeah, this is an NBA style trade. Like, yeah, we're starting to see GMs get creative. Like this is kind of a really interesting trade to kind of hoist up in the air and be like, hey, GMs are getting creative and saying, screw these draft picks down the line. I don't have a problem with Breezebot saying that, you know what, I, I'm or, you know, essentially saying that, you know what, I'm going to make sure this core is happy and that they can compete every year. It, it's just, man, like Tanner or not, like he, he better be worth it for all those picks. That being said, too, uh, that top that first round pick he gives of 2025 is lottery protected. So if the lightning, for example, just fall off a cliff that year as a try to be competitive, at least they could have that going for them. It's just, man, that's a lot for a guy who's an RFA at the end of the year. Con- uh, he's getting paid under a mill is going to, again, just play on your third line. But hey, if it works, it works. Yeah, it's uh, I wonder, is that was that like a parting gift for David Poyle as he's yeah, leaving as general manager too. in Nashville? And they're like, here's a first, a second, a third, a fourth and a fifth. Now, on the weekend, full credit, Elliot Friedman, the first to break this, that Barry Trotz will come back to Nashville and take over from David Poyle to serve as the general manager. Now, Barry Trotz, of course, one of the most successful head coaches in the salary cap era. Um, look, back in the day, Julian. There used to be, Pat Quinn was the last guy, I think, to do it on a kind of somewhat regular basis. But uh, guys could actually be the head coach and the general manager at the same time. Simultaneous, dual role. Pat Quinn did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, others have done it. Uh, Daryl Sutter's uh, done it. And uh, people uh, in Calgary, uh, uh, every time that gets mentioned, people cringe at that. Yeah, Sutter did it. I think Scotty Bowman did it in Buffalo, maybe. But anyway, long story short, do you ever like if, if ever you were going to pick a guy to do it? I mean, Barry Trotz would be the guy because of his success as a coach. He's not going to try his hand at being kind of in, in charge of player personnel in the front office. Do you think it's possible in the salary cap world to wear both hats, or it's just it's too complicated with the gymnastics of the cap and all that stuff? You can't, you know what? Separate the two things. You can't do them both. It just seems so hard, man. Like you're focusing on 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 getting your team, especially if you're a competitive team. You're focusing on every day to make sure your team is good, and then you gotta you gotta work in your room with your AGMs and all that, and 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 your capologists and whatever to ensure that the team is cap compliant. Like, in terms of capologists, like there might not be anybody better at that job than Julian Breezebois. Could you imagine him in the scenario where he's trying to balance the books, but also has to like be in some random game in Detroit coaching the team? Like that's just so much on one plate at a time. Like, I, I, I can't imagine doing both of those jobs at once. I can understand if you're if you're a head coach and you get hired and if you have a little bit of cachet, you want some say on personnel decisions. But, like, do you have to go all the way and be head coach and GM? Like, I, I have always envisioned that as such a really tough thing to do right. at the same time. Like, both jobs. Yeah. No, I think so, too. I think it'd be tough unless you had an unbelievable – uh, assistant GM and an unbelievable cap person and unbelievable insulation, maybe, but you're right. It's uh, just when you bring up the Julian Breezeball, imagine he has to coach tomorrow night. You you know what? It's a, uh, it's a great point. All right. I want to get to it's a couple difficult. of emails. Ju- yeah, no, yes, it, it is. It, it'd be hard. I want to get to a couple of emails here. A reminder. You can always send emails to us. Uh, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. Last week, you and I talked about uh, how funny was it? Ryan O'Reilly got traded to Toronto and in his first game, he goes to the bench to give himself a little bit of a, a, a water shower, and he ends up accidentally dumping red biosteel all over himself. Julia wrote in and says, uh, you know, I got a great story about mixing things up. 
In my early 20s, I was something uh, in something called the California Conservation Corps, where we built wilderness trails, cut hazard trees, all these things, low pay for physical labor. We were camping in a state park for an eight-day work week. Every morning at 5 a.m., somebody would get up to make cowboy coffee using water from a big igloo, one of those big igloo jugs uh, in, in the camp. Well, one memorable morning, we woke up, poured our coffees, only to take a big sip and spit it out in horror. The person making the coffee had accidentally mixed up the two igloo drinks and made the coffee with Blue Gatorade. Needless to say, oh. it was uh, not good. And our supervisor made us drink it or go without coffee because we did not have enough supplies to make any more. Blue Gatorade coffee. Imagine, you know, sometimes you, act, you, you hear these stories of how you accidentally stumble upon something great. Like, I'm sure the first person that ever had chocolate and peanut butter together, maybe it was an accident. Imagine this was like Blue Gatorade and coffee was like life-changing. <laughs> and it was good. It yeah. made so much money. I'm not going to lie. As you were reading that email and then it brought up coffee, I was like, I hope nobody thought to like pour coffee on themselves. Like that is a very dangerous endeavor. And the blue Gatorade thing is something I did not expect. No, yeah. not at all. Like that coffee and blue Gatorade. I mean, first off, blue Gatorade is overrated as a flavor as it is. Two, like. Well, what's the flavor? The blue is the flavor? Like, I, I, I don't know. What, what flavor, flavor is it? It's blue. What is it? It's blue? Like, okay, congrats. It's some kind of berry thing? Like, orange for the win, people. I'll stand on that hill. Orange or 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 the white one? Like, even what, the, even the lime exactly, one is better than blue. Are we just talking Gatorade? Yeah, like, it, orange orange is better. Lime is better. Fruit uh, punch? The, the, yeah, it, like, fruit the fruit punch. The red one is really good. Yeah. Like, blue is overrated Grape? as a... It's, it's, Grape it's is blue good. is, like, blue is fine. But, like, there are so many other better flavors. There are people like, yeah, Blue Gatorade is the best. Like, no, it's not. It's not. Blue yeah. is only good with a freezy. When it, you're having a freezy, yeah. that's when blue is elite. Yeah, that's what is good. Not with but Gatorade. But definitely, I agree that uh, Blue Gatorade and coffee, nah, that we, we ain't doing that. No. Okay. We also spoke last week on the show about where would be a really cool and fun venue to have an outdoor game. And I floated the mm -hmm. idea, well, could they ever do something at the Grand Canyon? Yes. Chris from Vegas has written in. Quick story for you. No November 2016, my sister and her family came to visit my husband and I in Vegas. We decided to go on a quick trip to the Grand Canyon. As I turned off the interstate to head up to the South Rim, I noticed it was starting to snow. And it was picking up. We get to the Grand Canyon. What was happening? Full out blizzard. Couldn't see a thing. We stayed overnight at a hotel near the Grand Canyon. What did we wake up to? A crystal clear snow-covered Grand Canyon at sunrise. I've never seen anything more naturally beautiful wow. in my life, which is to say the following. Instead of an outdoor game and bringing in thousands of fans and possibly inflicting some environmental damage to the Grand Canyon or Lake Louise, we need to have a specialty all-star skills event there ASAP. Instead of shooting pucks at surfboards on the beach, how about shooting at the base of the Grand Canyon. What about the fastest skater at Lake Louise on a rink with no boards for player safety? And get those all-star games scheduled for Cal Calgary and Arizona now and do the skills at the natural backdrops close by. That's from Chris in Vegas. We appreciate that, Chris. Wow, man. I gotta say, when I was in, uh, when I was uh, with Grand Canyon's, I guess, like Nevada, 
Or no, it kind of ties off on Arizona and Nevada, actually. Yeah, more Arizona, I guess. But still, like, it was kind of cold. So, like, to know that there's, like, snow that goes down there, like, wow, like, that's it's a bit of a surprise to me. I didn't I didn't really look at it that closely. But, like, specialty <laughs> events and not doing a full game there? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. That's I like the idea of the specialty events if they're cool and they're relevant. I guess that'd be pretty cool to do. Are we pre-taping this? Are we allowing some fans to be there? Like, I have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. No, no, but hey, like, I'm a big fan of outside-the-box thinking. I like the the outside-the-box thinking uh, with this one. But we're going to stay inside the box because what we do on Mondays, we wrap up the pod, Julian, with uh, a couple of uh, quick little questions and segments. And we're going to give the Jack Adams Award of the Week for the best coaching job in the past seven days. Now, Toronto, Nashville, and Boston all went 3-0, and but so too did Luke Richardson's Chicago Blackhawks. Julian, the team that I think everyone thought was destined to uh, just bottom out has been winning games. Heck, even winning now without Patrick Kane in the lineup. He's bubble-wrapped, and, and Chicago's still winning games. And hey, how about a little love for Luke Richardson for uh, Coach of the Week? We gave it to... Here's my thing now, and I sort of... Ugh, it's just bad tank awareness. Chicago's trying to tank for, for, for Connor Bedard. Ah, 3-0 and 0 is not great. But also, didn't we give it to Andre Tourigny, uh like last we did. week? We gave it to Andre yeah. Tourigny last week. We gave it to yeah. DJ Smith a couple of weeks before that. Yeah, like that's it. Like I can't, I can't, we can't not give it to Luke. Like, like those week, like DJ Smith will exclude him. But like Andre and, and Luke, like those guys should not be having 3-0 weeks. Like y'all should be tanking. Y'all should be oh oh and three. We should or but, or oh three and oh. Like 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 we should like they should not be in the spot. But also we can't not shout them out. Like it's good that I mean players do not have it in them to tank. But considering the player at the end of the tunnel for them, who could be there? Like man, and I, I feel bad that like it's only really hitting me now that we should be thinking of it this way. But like okay, I guess we can give it to Luke Richardson. Yeah, and you know what, Chicago uh, in the midst they went three and zero last week in the midst of a five-game winning streak. And during that winning streak, Julian, they've beaten Toronto, they've beaten Vegas, mm. they've beaten Dallas. Like three teams that I think all have Stanley Cup aspirations this season, certainly playoff-bound teams. Uh, they're not just beating – I know their last win was over San Jose, but it's not like they're just beating the Columbuses and the Arizonas and the – you know, those, they're beating some good teams here. So we're giving the, uh, the full shout-out to Luke Richardson. But we're going to wrap up. With, uh, we're going to tie this all back to the theme of Eastern Conference powerhouses. Right now, I'm going to ask this question to wrap up the Monday podcast. Knowing what we know, who's the team to beat in the Eastern Conference right now? Your options are A, the Boston Bruins, B, the Carolina Hurricanes, C, the Tampa Bay Lightning, D, the New York Rangers, or E, somebody else. You want to go Jersey? You want to go Toronto? You can do whatever you want. Who is the team to beat right now in the Eastern Conference? It's got to be Boston because of the fact that they're on pace to, to become one of the greatest, if not the greatest, regular season team of all time. And and especially if they do, I mean, they get Dmitry Orlov. Uh, if they do something else ahead of the deadline too, like, like man, like this is going to be a, a, a juggernaut of a team to go up against uh, in the playoffs. And and obviously with the line that they have up top too with Marshawn and 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 Pasternak and, and Bergeron, like Linus Allmark got a goalie goal. We didn't even talk about that. 
uh, oh in the God. last few days. Linus like, Goldmark. They are, yes, Linus Goldmark. Like, everything for them is so good from top to bottom. I know Tampa Bay is a really good team, and I'm still really high on them. And it still wouldn't surprise me if they found themselves as the top Eastern Conference team left standing. The Rangers are trying to work off some momentum. If they get Patrick Kane, maybe that helps them out. Carolina, people are sleeping on them. But I think there's a reason why. It's a team like Boston who's been as dominant as they've been in that first round. So they're my they're my pick uh, for the team to beat in the Eastern Conference right now. Okay. And I know I said earlier that I have been picking Carolina. Like when we do those athletic uh, writer polls, I've been going with Carolina. The more I sit down and think about it, though, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the three-time defending Eastern Conference champions. Yeah. To me, I'm going to go with this theory. Until somebody beats them, that's their crown. So you know what? That's fair. I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Lightning, with all of their built-in experience, and now they're adding, and obviously maybe they overpaid, whatever, they got a great goalie. They've got a great defense. They've got a a core of players. Nikita Nikita Kudras having an MVP caliber season that nobody's talking about. Uh, Oddly, a team that has been to three straight Stanley Cups is not being talked about. And you know what? I'm going to say this. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that they're going back, but somebody's got to take them down if they want to get uh, to the Cup. So give me Tampa. Give me Tampa as the team. To you beat. know what's funny? Man, like, it's just, just with this, you're right. Like, it's funny that, like, the Lightning are, they're, 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 they're an incredible organization, incredible team. Yeah, they've kind of faded in terms of, like, talk about, you know, who should be coming out of the East, but, like, we really should not be sleeping on those guys. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that, like, they're destined for a Toronto Maple Leafs matchup in that first round. But also, people are kind of quiet on the on the Leafs, too. I noticed they're not, like, up on that, like, list. And I wonder, and I mean, actually, I don't have to wonder. It's it's that first round jinx that kind of hurts them. Because every other year, or any other team, we'd be like, yeah, this the, this team should be considered among the elite. But, like... If we still don't know, I don't know how much of the hockey world truly trusts the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I wonder how much of that plays into how we look into, I mean, I think it's everything and how we look into a potential series against Tampa uh, in that first round. There's a lot to that Eastern Conference playoffs as a, as a guy living in the West now. Uh, I'm thankful they are going to be playing at decent hours. Uh, so that way I could stay up and watch the Western Conference games uh, before I go to sleep. So I just want that out there. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And listen, when you and I reconvene next Monday, uh, the dust will have settled on the uh, the trade deadline. So we'll have a much better handle on all of that. We want to thank everybody for listening to this Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Before we get to next Monday's show, we're going to be back. A special Friday live trade deadline recap show. Myself, Haley Salvian, will be with you live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Reunion. 2.30 Eastern Time. Reunion. Yeah. A reunion show. Uh, Ian and Haley back together again. Uh, 2.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 Pacific on Friday. We'll be live. Uh, you can go to youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show to, uh, to check us out. And right now, I want to let you know you get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month. Visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Corsi!